We're going to jump right into uh, the message this morning. We are in this series called A, a Summer of Prayer. And I, as Forrest alluded to, we will be talking about forgiveness. But before we uh, get there, I, I really want to kind of kick it off by telling you a story uh, that's a part of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, if you're familiar with the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, there's multiple books in the series. And, and one of the books is called uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in this book, uh, there is a, uh, a story about a, a kid named Eustace. And Eustace was, uh, had come into a lot of wealth. And because Eustace was so comfortable and so consumed with that wealth, he ends up turning into a dragon. And when he turns into a dragon, he was wearing a bracelet on his wrist that, uh, that was really kind of this bracelet that was a sense of, of pride that he wore, uh, that he wore of his wealth. But the reality was is that, that when he became a dragon, that bracelet cinched tight around one of his legs. And so now it was causing him uh, great pain. And, and so he's looking for a way to deal with the pain in his life. And Aslan comes along and says, if you trust him, if you follow, excuse me, Aslan comes along and says, if you trust me and if you follow me, uh, I will bring you some relief from your pain. And so he brings him to this water well and uh, and Eustace knows that if he could just bathe in the water, if he could just get into the well, that there would be relief from the pain that he was experiencing. The problem was is that when Eustace tried to get into the water that was in this well, he was too large. That the scales that, uh, that were around him as a, uh, as a dragon were too, too large to fit into this well. And so Knowing this, Eustace starts to claw off all of the scales from his body and, and he pulls all of the scales off and he sees them laying there and he tries to get into the well and he's still too big. It's like nothing had changed. And three different times Eustace does this. And finally he, he looks at Aslan and Aslan says to Eustace, whether he spoke them or he heard them, he said, Eustace, you must allow me to undress you. And C.S. Lewis writes it like this. He says, The very first tear that he made was so deep that I had thought he had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only those times hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, even so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. I started swimming and splashing, and I found that all the pain that I had, uh, all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. It's this story uh, that C.S. Lewis tells us that really begins to help us understand and indicate that in every one of us, in every human being, there will come 
this time, this place, that there are things in our life that need to change about me, and yet oftentimes I am the obstacle that keeps me from receiving the change that I need. We can point at other people in our life. We can say that they're, they have hurt us. They have betrayed us. Right? They, they've, they brought wounds into our life. And yet, those people are long gone from us. But they remain to be this kind of this invisible influence that holds us back from the relief that God wants to bring into our life. The reality is, is I'm the only thing that can change if this is going to change. See, C.S. Lewis's understanding of the gospel is that when a human being comes to that place, when a human being comes to the place where there is something in me that keeps me from the very thing that me longs for, then we have to turn from me to something else. We have to turn our focus outward, and, and we have to find someone who can help peel away from us that which we can't do on our own. Of all the things that God will do in our life to help peel away the layers of the things that have been put up out of woundedness, out of hurt, out of pain, it's that prayer is one of the chief tools that keep us, or excuse me, that help us peel back the scales from our hearts. So for my prayer for us this morning is that although the, the Lord's Prayer is something of familiarity to us, is that we would receive something that we, although we have heard it, we would hear it in a way that God would become real in our lives in a new way today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm going to read through, through it in its entirety, but we're going to focus specifically today on, on the, the meat of this. This then is how you should pray. Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Two weeks ago, we focused on that statement, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That how we approach God as our Father really determines by which we finish the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some would argue that this is the perfect prayer. Uh, Jesus gave this prayer to the disciples. This is how he instructed them to pray. So at a minimum, I think we could say it's a pretty good prayer. Right. Most, call, most scholars believe that the Lord's Prayer is broken up into two different sections, that you've got this first section, let's just call it section eight, our, or section A, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that section A of this prayer really is the premise for the rest of the prayer uh, of what the rest of the prayer is built upon. The first half is all about God's honor and his praise. That when you pray those words, when you pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is no question of what your desire is. Your desire is to recognize who God is and what he can do. 
It's, a, it's our desire is to, to be in a posture that says to, to God, you are awesome. You are amazing. And God, how great would it be that if, if what's happening in heaven, what's taking place in heaven could actually take place here on earth? Our greatest desire in that prayer is to see the rule and reign of God here on earth. The second section, as it finishes off, is really our needs that we have in light of God's honor and praise. There's really three different categories that we see. I'll run through them briefly, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll move into, into, the, into the meat of this. The, the first category is our daily provision for basic needs. Now, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us don't know what this is talking about. Because at a minimum, most of you and myself, at our homes, we have a pantry. And in that pantry consists of Easy Mac or uh, stale ramen or Kansas soup or something along the lines that, that if we forget to go to the grocery store that day, at a minimum, we have the opportunity to open up our refrigerated container that has things in it, or we can go to the pantry and we can consume something of little to no nutritional value, but yet sustenance nonetheless. In antiquity, what would take place is, let me back up, most of us do not get paid on a daily basis. Maybe there are some that do, but most get paid on a bi-monthly basis. Most of us get paid on a monthly basis that, that we aren't every day waiting to receive a paycheck. And, and so in antiquity, what would happen is they would get a day's wage. And they would take their day's wage and then they would go to the market and they would get their day's food. And they would bring it home and they would cook it and they would eat it. And, and so this daily dependence and trust for God to provide made sense for them. The second thing, the second category is our restored relationships. He asks us to pray, pray for restored relationships. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is all about relationships. It's all about people. And Jesus says, I know I want you to, for the first thing to pray for in your needs, I want you to pray for your daily provision, but, but now I want you to pray for an equity or a rightness with all of the relationships that are around you that you have. But when you pray that prayer, what you're doing is you're, you're asking God to bring all of our relationships to a level playing field, that, that it's everything is just completely level, that I don't owe anyone anything and they don't owe me anything. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about, like, have you ever held a grudge towards someone? Have you ever been so infuriated with someone that you actually want something from them as restitution for what they've done to you? Like, is there, is there anything in your life where, where you've had a parent or a coach or a teacher even 30 years ago speak something over you or say something that, that cut you and caused a wound and, there's, and you've held on to those things? There's something of what's called a debt in that. The third thing is humility and trust. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To pray this prayer reveals a humble heart. There's some controversy over what that means to lead us into temptation, but 
The reality here is what, what we're reading is that God, you're coming to God with a humble heart, not with an arrogance that says, God, I am so forgiving. I have so much grace in my life. Just test it. Just bring it on. God, bring somebody in my life that's going to wound me so I can show how forgiving I am. That's not what this is saying. This is saying come with a a humble heart, a willingness to say, God, I am leaning into you. I am trusting you. And God, will you not give me more than I can handle? And God, if, if if um, if my frailty and my weakness is exposed in my inability to respond well, God, would you, would you deliver me from the evil one? Will you deliver me from the things that I would respond normally to? See, if we were going to pray this kind of prayer, this, this Lord's Prayer, as we call it, not just once a week, Right, Because we, we kind of get into these habits as Christians. We go to church once a week. And so there is this temptation for us to, to recite the Lord's Prayer, maybe almost religiously once a week. Or, but, but Jesus' implication here is not that this would be a once a week prayer, but that it would be a daily prayer. And not even just a daily prayer, but it would be multiple times throughout the day. And if we were to do that, if we were to at multiple times throughout our day, realign our heart to these things. My question for us is, would we actually experience your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Now here's the problem with prayer, or this prayer in particular. Jesus didn't recognize this, that there was a problem with the prayer that he was instructing. We thought it was perfect, but The problem isn't so much with him. The problem is with us. See, if we wanted and we prayed for those things and we prayed all throughout the day for those things to happen, then things in our life would have to look different. We we would not remain the same. Let Let me give you some examples. Imagine that if you had no worry for your basic needs, Right? You never freaked out about whether or not you were going to have a paycheck for the next month. Th- think about it in the context of an elderly couple who's retired and all of their joy has been stolen from them because they sit and they watch the news and they hear the economy's changing and the Fed's change the, the interest rates and all this stuff and yet everything's getting more expensive but our income is staying the same and, and all of a sudden there's this this fear and this anxiousness that rises up. Think about it in the context of a a single mom or a single dad who who thought that they were going to do this life together with a spouse and they were going to raise these children together only to discover that they're on their own. What would it look like if even in the midst of that we could trust him for our daily bread? What if there was no bitterness or grudges in our relationships? Imagine if you could walk into a place, into a church, if you could walk into an uh, office, into a family reunion, and look every single person in the eye and not have a sick feeling in your stomach when you see that one person that you've been 
upset with or holding a grudge towards. Imagine if racism was gone. Imagine if your bitterness towards an ex was gone. Imagine if the anger towards an alcoholic parent who wasn't who they were supposed to be in your life. Imagine if that was gone. Because we have forgiven our debtors. One more. What if we lived with the secure confidence that God would strengthen and guide us through every challenge ahead of us? See, because if we trusted him to to not give us more than we could handle, it wouldn't matter what the day held for you. We would be confident about our future. We would be secure in those new relationships. You would be able to risk for his provision. It wouldn't matter if the Fed raised the interest rate or not. You could actually pray that prayer that says, God, deliver me from evil. I am secure. I am safe in you. I will not fear. I will not be anxious. If those things happened, don't you think that our world would look just a little different? If it was truly the passion and the desire and the reality of people to experience and to actually pray those things into this life. I believe that social issues that we find ourselves fighting over would radically shift and change. Inequities in gender and culture and And all of those things would just begin to look a little bit different if we actually had in our hearts and in our lives a passion to see God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's one thing to say that we want more of this in our world. I find myself saying, yeah, if the world would just get their act together and get a little bit more of this into it, we would be a better place. And I I wonder if this morning we could just take a moment and, and just look inward a little bit and say, what if we had more of this in the church? And that's the problem with prayer, right? That's the problem with prayer, because if I pray this prayer, then I'm confronted with the reality that I'm actually praying something that I'm not really sure I want to come to pass. You just say, well, I want everything that God wants for my life. I, I want, of course I want this. Of course I want to, to, to rely on him for my daily needs. Of course, like I, I come to church, I sing the songs, I give the gifts, I do the stuff. And of course, like how is that not evidence? I would just make an argument that it's possible that maybe there's an area of our life where we don't even realize it, that the scales are still on our hearts. There's a woman by the name of Corey Ten Boom. She is a Holocaust survivor. And she had a home for people who had survived the concentration camps in Holland. And she had this confrontation. She's, she's telling the story of her testimony at a, at a conference 
where a prison guard from the concentration camp shows up in front of her. And I'll read her account from her book, The Hiding Place. Betsy, my sister, and I had been arrested for hiding Jews in our home during the Nazi occupancy of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück where we had been sent. He was now standing in front of me with his hand thrusted out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Corey says, I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remember him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time... He went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but honestly, I would love to hear from your, from your lips as well, Fräulein. And again, the hand came out and said, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly waiting for Corey to shake his hand. It seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. I knew it not only as a commandment from God, but I knew it as a daily experience. For at the end of the war back in Holland, I had come for the victims of the Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalid it was simple. It was horrible. As I stood there with the coldness clenching my heart, I realized that forgiveness was not an emotion. It was an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And this is what she said. I silently prayed, Jesus, please help me. If someone like that, someone like a Corey Ten Boom, on the levels of Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, all of the, the people of faith that you can think of, who are, who are amazing, amazing people, but somebody like this, who continued in the latter years of her life, realizing that, yes, although she has prayed the prayer, although she is a Christ follower, that there was still dragon skin in areas of her heart. If someone like that can experience that, how much more, and this is the problem with prayer, is that if we engage with prayer and we understand that what Jesus is teaching us, then at some point we will have to address and face the dragon skin on our heart. 
Because honestly, I would prefer to just assume that it doesn't exist. I would like to think that, that my heart is a heart of flesh, that there is no barrier, there is no wall or scale that I have put between me and what the Lord wants to do in my life. But the reality is, is that when we begin to see the dragon skin on our heart, we have to respond. And we're only going to respond in one of three ways. And every one of us sitting in this room, anybody watching online, will respond in one of these three ways. How you respond is really up to you. But the first response is that of the rich young ruler. In the story of the rich young ruler, the question is, how do I receive eternal life? And is it to follow the commandments? Done. I can do that. No problem. And the question that was posed to the rich young ruler was, one thing you have yet to do is sell all of what you own and give it to the poor. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can do all of the other things. I could do whatever you've asked me, asked me to do. But, but if you want to access that part of my heart that's been scaled up, I'm sorry, that's not going to work for me. And the rich young ruler walked away. The second way in which we can respond to this is, is not running away, but really it's in the story of the prodigal son. And we love, the, we love this story. We love the story of hope that comes from the prodigal son where you have a, a knucklehead kid who uh, totally disrespects his parents, goes off, lives in the world, does whatever he wants, finds himself in a pig trough, comes home and receives the love and acceptance and grace of a father. We love this picture, but really the story of the prodigal son, if we're not careful, we will miss one of the most important stories of that, and that's that of the older son. The older brother who, who found himself not running away, but actually pressing in closer to the father because he didn't believe in the unconditional love of the father. And so what he does is he presses in, he gets close to the father in order to prove to him that he is worthy of the father's love. He gets so close to him that he could earn the love and the respect of the Father. And I wonder how many of us, rather than running away from God, what we can often do is we can, we can press into the religious nature and the religiousness of our, of our faith, where, where all of a sudden we're like, if I could just pray enough, if I could just do enough, we, we don't fully believe in the unconditional love of the Father. And so it's like, if I, if I just pray the Lord's Prayer, if I just give, if I just go to church, if I just help this out, if I just do this, and, and if I do that, then I will earn God's love and His grace and His favor in my life. The good news is there's another option. And the other option has to do with the power of prayer. That you can find a place where these scales are on our heart, uh, begin to be torn away by a loving Father. The response that allows us to happen is a response that recognizes that there is a weakness that we have. And it asks the Holy Spirit from help, for help. It comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. 
It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So maybe the question for us is, what is our weakness? If the Spirit helps us in our weakness, what is our weakness? I would contend that for many, if not most, one of the greatest weaknesses that we have as Christ followers is the, the inability to forgive. One of the questions that I get the most as a pastor in counseling opportunities and in conversations on planes and different things is, can you help me understand how to forgive? Because you have no idea what I've been through. See, our weakness is when we know that we are to forgive. We know that, that actually there is this place in which what God has for our life is actually to come here into this place of forgiveness. The problem is, is that we have built up so much scale on our heart and we have, we have such a hardness and a barrier that we find ourselves so distant from where God wants us to be. And we, we, how many of us have ever prayed the prayer, God, I, I know this isn't what you want. I know this isn't how things are supposed to be. I just don't know how to get to there. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do. And, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and says, I want to help you. Because in and of ourselves, our ability to get from here to there in our humanity is really not going to happen. It's only through, as Romans talks about, the help of the Holy Spirit. That word help in Scripture is the same, interestingly, the same word help in where Martha yells out to Jesus, hey Jesus, could you have Mary come help me do the dishes? The actual translation of that word help has to do with that the coming alongside someone and helping them carry or bear a burden or uh, lift something up that they could, couldn't otherwise do on their own. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. And it's not this 50-50 thing, right? It's not like the Holy Spirit needs 50% of us. It's really kind of a 99-1, where, where really we just find ourselves in this position and the Holy Spirit says, you may not get from here to there in one moment, but let's move towards there. And so it looks something along the lines of, of us praying in this moment here where we find ourselves not even knowing what to say and saying, Father, our Father who's in heaven, Father, help I don't even know how to get there. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit just says, let me help you. And then it's, Father, I know this isn't what you have for me. I know that this isn't the place that you want to leave me in. So will you help me? And he helps us. It's, Father, I don't know how to 
forgive. I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know what to do. And I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to even think that way. And the Holy Spirit says, let me help you. It's Father. Thank you. Thank you for the, for the time. Thank you for redeeming the pain, the, the hurt. I still don't know how to forgive. And the Holy Spirit says, let me help you. See, the ability to forgive and, and the understanding of forgiveness, how do I forgive someone who has wronged me, hurt me, betrayed me? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe the, maybe the question is not how do I forgive them, but how can the Holy Spirit help me to forgive? How, how do I, as Corey Denboom said, Jesus, just help me. Help me get to that place. And show me your grace and your mercy in the process. We know we need to forgive. But do we know that we actually need the help of the Holy Spirit in order to do it? Now, I get that a message on forgiveness, and in maybe this message doesn't feel very Father's Day-ish, although I did conveniently incorporate a dragon into it. It's kind of manly. But I wonder how many of us as men struggle the most with this idea of, of even addressing or acknowledging that maybe we have scales that have built up on our hearts. See, as, as men, it's not, uh, it's not uh, so politically correct or it's not culturally correct to be vulnerable in this world. And so to acknowledge that there's possibly more that God wants to do in our life, that there's more that he wants to pull back. There's more access that he wants to us. To, to be in that place, to be vulnerable, to say, God, I, I have unforgiveness in my heart, and I don't know how to get there, but I know that, that whatever, wherever I'm at right now is not what you would want for my life. You want me to get to that place, and, and to get to that place, I need your help. See, we don't like to ask for help. We don't like to ask for directions. We don't like, we don't, we don't want God's help. We want to just figure it out on our own and do it on our own. And there's just some things in this Christian life that you aren't going to be able to do on your own. And maybe the most fatherly, husbandly, manly thing that we could do is recognize that no matter how hard we try to tear off the scales, we will never experience the relief of the pain that we experience until we allow God to begin to do that to us. Let's pray. Father, there's so much to unpack in this short, perfect little prayer that you've given us. God, I recognize that any time you address 
the forgiveness of the heart. Anytime you address wounds or lies, sin, God, you begin to uncover a a recognition and an understanding that maybe we have built up some scales and a callus that's kept you from, from dealing with that, kept us from being where and who you've called us to be. God, my prayer for all of us, all of us, that at a minimum we would we would sit here before you and we would ask, God, where have I allowed calluses or scales in my life that although I've been trying to tear them off, I still continue to endure the pain and God, I want to be free from that. And will we invite our Heavenly Father to help us pull off the scales. God, we, we love you. We praise your name. We, we recognize that, that you are an awesome and powerful God who loves us, who extends grace to us and forgiveness to us. God, could we also be a people that continues to press more and more in the recognition that you have more for us and you want more of us. So God, we surrender to you. The only one, the only one who can peel back the scales from our hearts. And God, we begin to step into what it is to be a people that actually wants, desires, is passionate about the things that we actually pray when we say things like your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. God, that we would be a people that in that instead of, of walking past those who irritate and annoy us, instead of avoiding those who think differently than us or look differently than us, God, that we would be a people who desire so much for there to be love and grace and peace, not just in our world, but in this church. God, let it be. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.